I've been really excited to get something going here at BCC that we are launching with the start of the new year. And some of you saw on social media that we made a post about something called Uversion Live. A lot of you probably already have Uversion on your phone, whether you realize it or not, if you have the Bible app. And I think a lot of you probably do, but if you don't, you can go and download the Uversion Bible app, which is actually the most downloaded app in any app store, and it's free. You can go and download that, but here's the cool part that we're going to utilize that we haven't been utilizing that doesn't cost us anything as a church either, which is also really cool. There is a function on version called Live, where every week, whoever's speaking, we're going to have the notes of that person uh, into this version Live. You'll be able to actually follow along with the notes of the person that's preaching that weekend. And the cool part is that you can actually make notes of your own along with the notes that you're given. So you can follow along in the sermon. It'll already have all of the scriptures preloaded in there. So you will have already beat me to the text before I could even get there because you'll have it right there in front of you. And also you can add spots where you can make notes. And the cool part is that when you're done, you can actually save it and email a copy of all of that work you did plus the sermon notes to yourself. So you'll have a great thing to keep and to study and to reference back. And you can keep that as a PDF. It'll just email you all of those things that you wrote plus what uh, was already in there from the sermon notes. And the other neat part about this is that we can actually put within Uversion Live the ability for you to reference the um, sermon study guides that we put out every week. For those of you who don't know, every single week we always put out a sermon study guide that one of our pastors write based on the sermon that has been written that week. So like I'll put my notes together, uh, Tuesday is my sermon prep day, and I kind of lock myself in my office and pray and study and put together my sermon every week on Tuesday uh, before the upcoming Sunday, and I, I, that's been my rhythm for years. And then those notes go to our different pastors and whoever's on the writing rotation that week actually writes a deeper dive into the message by writing their take on a sermon study guide. And it's really a great way for you just to fully get immersed in scripture and just really grow in the word of God because we're providing all these great resources for you. Now we're adding one more great resource each and every week. You can search for a live event in your area on the Uversion app. We have the instructions here. You can just download that, click the more button on the Bible app and look for events. You will have to enable your location settings so that way it can tell where you're at. And when it tells where you're at, it'll kind of have a radius there. You may see other churches utilizing this as well. So you're like, what are these other churches doing? They're utilizing this free service as well. If you see other churches in um, the Quad Cities kind of pop up on there. But select Bettendorf Christian Church and you'll be able to see exactly what's in front of me that I put together each and every week. And then you'll be able to kind of make your own notes. So it'd be a great way for us to grow in scripture together. And I just wanted you to be aware of that. We'll keep mentioning it um, for a couple of months just so that way everybody can know what's going on and be a part of it, but it's going to be a regular part of our rhythm here at BCC, and we wanted to introduce that to you as just another great resource to help you to grow. And so I've been really excited to kick off this series called Embracing Identity, and when I first got here last year as your new pastor, I met with the staff, and I asked them these two questions. I said, what are we known for and what do we want to be known for? And we sat around and talked about the answers to those questions. What are we known for and what do we want to be known for? 
I think that that not only rings true of a church, but it should also ring true of your family, of you as a Christ follower. What are the things that people would say? What are the things that perhaps we're known for? But then the things that we're aspiring to grow in or the things that we feel like God is calling us to, what do we want to be known for? Because sometimes those two lists don't match up because sometimes you're known for stuff. You're like, I don't want to be known for that, right? (laughs) And so you have to make a decision. I want to be known for this and I don't want to be known for that. And some of the things we're known for are good things. And we want to embrace those things and make sure that we continue to do those things because that's part of our identity and what we're called to do. I think that that's very important. But then there's other things that God is calling us to. And for us to move forward, we have to know who we are as a church. And we have to embrace that. We have to embrace this identity that God has given us. We use these two questions to discern our core values. If you've been coming to BCC for a while and you were around during the fall, you would have remembered that we went through a series called Core Values. And in that series, we talked about five different values that we believe were a part of our identity at the core of who we are. And we taught in length on each one of those different values. And that's the result of that meeting that I had with the staff where I asked them, what are we known for? What do we want to be known for? And that's where those values came from, was from that conversation. So I think that it's important for us to understand as we kick off 2022 that we are focused and we are aligned as a church, that we are unified and that we can move forward together. And that's what this series is going to help us to do. It's going to help to carve out and clarify some things that perhaps maybe you've been wondering about. And it's going to help give us something to grab a hold to that we can walk together and be in agreement and alignment and be unified around to know who we are. And so we can take a step forward together in what God has called us to do. Every year, I like to have what I call a vision focus. And I like to do this at the beginning of the year because I think that it helps the church to kind of reset from all the busyness and go, okay, what are we doing this year and what are we focused on? And, and this vision focus that I believe for 2022 for BCC is this idea of embracing identity. So I believe that these types of uh, sermons are not only going to happen during this series, but that these things will continually be reiterated throughout the year, just like our core values. We want to reiterate those things, help us to internalize those things, to get them beyond something we've heard, something we know, and get it into our, our hearts. Because we can't be the type of people who go, oh, I said that once so everybody knows it and understands it, right? We have to say it again and again and in different ways and pre- present these concepts in different ways so that way we can go, yeah, this is true. This is who we are. And we begin to see it reflective in the fruit that we're seeing in our church or in the actions that we take or in the decisions that we make. And we can see that those things are reflective and they do ring true, that this is indeed who we are. Because if we don't clarify who we are as a church, what begins to happen is that people begin to make up their own ideas and they run with their own ideas. And if they're running in separate directions, then you don't have unity, right? And we want to have unity in our church and have everyone going the same direction. And that's why I believe embracing identity is going to be a big part of that. Um, And so that's what we're going to focus on. We must know who we are, what we value, our giftings, our callings, so we can focus And I want to focus with a simple but great intensity that is intentional to impact every generation beyond our lifetime, because I believe that's who God is calling us to be. So with that in mind, go over to the book of Ruth, and we're going to go to the very first chapter of Ruth. We're going to read the first 18 verses here, and this is a great story about this woman who is 
ends up being in a very unique situation. She's not an Israelite woman. She's actually a Moabite woman. And if you look back to the history during that time, Moab and Israel were actually enemies. And so as we read this and as we look at this, I want you to keep that in mind, that Moab and Israel were enemies. So let's look at this, and it'll help you to understand a little bit more about this concept. Ruth chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. So what's going on is that this guy is looking for food. There's a famine in the land, and Moab's got food. Well, Moab and Judah were not getting along very well, right? These guys are enemies, but yet he's going to risk it because he wants to make sure that his family is fed. This is where the food is, so we've just got to make do, and we've got to enter into this land, and whatever happens, happens. So they go into this unfamiliar, um, uh, unsafe area looking for food. Verse 2, the name of the man was Limelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi. The names of his two sons are Malon and Chilion. I'm going with Chilion because I like that. That may not be the right way to pronounce it, but I like Chilion because he's chill. Okay. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah, and they went to the country of Moab, and they remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These two, these two sons took Moabite, Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, and the other name uh, was Ruth. They lived there for about 10 years, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. So look at what's going on here. This, this family is in a spot that's unfamiliar. They're in enemy territory, and then all of a sudden, Elimelech dies, and Naomi is there with her two sons, and then her two sons marry Moabite women. And now, these Moabites are now part of their family, but then the two sons die, and now it's just the Moabites and their mother-in-law, and now they're looking at each other like, what do we do next? Because everyone is passed away their 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 husbands have all passed away verse 6 then she Naomi arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab for she had heard that the fields of Moab uh, from the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food so Naomi has heard things are good back home so I want to leave Moab and I want to go back home because now we've got food it's not a, a severe famine back home. So we're going to leave Moab, and that's Naomi's plan. Verse 7, so she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. So she's saying, guys, you can go back to your families, and it's not going to, you know, I'm going to be okay. You guys go back to your families. Don't feel obligated to come with me because you're leaving what's familiar. You're leaving your family. Don't do that for me. Like, go back. I'm just going to go back home to my country, and you stay with your country and with your people. Go, go marry some Moabite men. You know, go, you know, just do your thing. And so that's what Naomi is encouraging Ruth and Orpah to do. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. So she's saying, go get remarried. Like, go find a husband in Moab. Then she kissed them. They lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. 
But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I'm too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they're grown? Like, you're going to sit around and wait till these sons grow up and marry them? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. She's grieving. She's bitter. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So this means that Orpah kissed her and says, okay, I'm going to go back. You're going to be okay. I'm going to go and do what you told me to do. And Ruth says, no. She hangs on. She doesn't let go. Verse 15, and she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. What are you doing, Ruth? There's nothing here for you. Go back. Verse 16, but Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. She sees here that Ruth is saying, listen, where you die, I want to die. I want to be buried right there. Like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not leaving you. I'm clinging to you. You are my family now. We are connected. There's more that, that connects us than just the fact that I married your son. We are family. She embraced Naomi because she had embraced this new identity. She had embraced this idea of leaving your father and mother and clinging to your husband. And now this is, this is that family. She's, she's embraced this idea. And she says, I'm not going back. You are it. You are my family. I've embraced this, this identity and I know who I am. So because Ruth knew who she was, she was able to be this person of character and this person of high integrity who walked with her mother-in-law when her mother-in-law really couldn't give her anything. She was so dedicated and so loyal because she knew who she was. When things beyond our control change, we must know who we are before we know where we're going. A lot of times things change, and when those things are beyond our control or our influence, we freak out, and we immediately want to run back to what's familiar. That's what people do. I remember when the pandemic originally hit and we started shutting stuff down. The first place I wanted to go, honestly, I wanted to go back to Arkansas and be like around my family because I was in Wisconsin and everything's shutting down and I'm like, where's my family? I want to be around family. I want to go back to something familiar. I just had this desire to go back to something familiar. And that always happens when things happen in our lives that we can't control, that affect us, that cause change in our lives, we immediately want to go back to what's familiar because there's something comforting about it. There's something comforting about knowing that, that, that I'm, there's a safety there in my mind that, that I've created because if I can get back to what's familiar, then I'm safe, then I'm okay. And instead of Ruth saying, I'm going to go back to what's familiar and what I've always known, she says, no, I'm going with you wherever you go. There was a different confidence about her. There was something in her that she was dedicated beyond just the fact that she had married Naomi's son. There was something that said, I'm still with you and I'm going to be with you. And she made a vow before God. Hey, if I leave you 
for any other reason other than death, may bad stuff happen to me because I'm with you all the way. You're not getting rid of me, Naomi. I'm going with you all the way. You see, Ruth's life changed so drastically after her husband died. It was something she could not control. She could not influence the outcome of that situation. If she could, I know she would have tried with all of her heart. So this thing happens that she can't do anything about. But because she knew who she was, instead of running back to what was familiar, she was able to embrace what was ahead. And she knew that this was what she was supposed to do. And she knew it with a deep conviction. I, I don't know if she wrestled with that. I don't know if perhaps she struggled with it. We don't know. All we know is that she went with Naomi and made a pretty serious commitment to her and wouldn't let her go. You see, she didn't go back to what was once familiar because she knew her identity. She had embraced who she was. When I came here a year ago, and funny enough, it was almost to the day exactly a year ago that I came to Bettendorf Christian Church to interview. And it was the first week of January that I came and I interviewed. And when I came here, I met with different people in the church, uh, different volunteer leads, different uh, small group leaders, met with the staff and met with the elders and just was constantly you know, meeting with people, eating with people, you know, going from here to there and meeting all these people and having all these conversations and being asked all these questions. And at the end, the last morning before my wife and I were to head back to Wisconsin, I sat at the table with the elders and the elders asked me this question. They said, based on just what you've seen and what you've experienced and what you've heard, what would you say with your fresh eyes and your fresh perspective, what would you say is the biggest need for Bettendorf Christian Church? And so my perception was very limited, obviously, because all I had to go off of was those three days plus whatever research I had done on my own and conversations that I had had. But I looked at them and I said, I think that the biggest thing that is going to need to happen at Bettendorf Christian Church is for Bettendorf Christian Church to know who we are and to be able to embrace that identity and everyone rally around that. And as now I have more involved and intimate perspective after having been here for nine months almost as your lead pastor, I believe we have grown in understanding who we are. And we have begun to identify things from the past that are part of our rich history that God has done, that we definitely say, yes, that's part of who we are. And then there's things that God has done in more recent years that we say, yes, God has been helping us to understand that part of who we are. But I believe that we need to clarify those things and be in unity as a church to be able to step forward into what God has for us next. Because here's what happens. Where clarity and consistency are lacking... Ambiguity, division, and confusion thrive. A lot of times when things are left ambiguous, people begin to make up their own rules. They begin to make up their own guidelines. They begin to make up their own values. And then you'll have factions of people who are living by a certain way or who are operating by certain standards and certain values. And then you have another group operating by completely different standards and by different values. Listen, what Jesus said needs to echo in our hearts and we need to keep this ever present in our minds. Jesus said the way 
that this world would know we are disciples of him was by the way that we treat one another, by the way that we love each other. That's what he said. If you have love one for another, by this all men will know. You're my disciples if you have love one for another. He's speaking about that in the context of the body. He's speaking of that in the context of brothers and sisters who are followers of Jesus, who are fellowshipping together, who are loving each other, because oftentimes we think that ministry is something that happens just like on a mission trip, or ministry is something that people who are in a called paid ministry position do, or we think ministry is something that happens when we do an outreach project or some sort of service project, or something that happens when we clothe and feed a child in a foreign country, and yes, all of those things are ministry, and all those things are needed, and we need to participate in those things and be a part of those things, because that's part of our calling, and it is part of our identity to do those types of things because our church has a rich history of being a very mission-minded, mission-oriented church, but we cannot do all those things at the expense of neglecting to love one another and preserve and serve and love each other within the context of the body of Christ right here in our church family, amen? We can't forsake that, you see, because then what we do outside, all of a sudden we go, oh, that's ministry. No, what, how we treat each other inside is ministry as well. How we love each other, how we pursue unity together, that is ministry as well. How we care for one another and rejoice with one another when things are going well and we weep with one another when things may not be going so well. That is ministry just as much as clothing and feeding someone in some third world country, amen? At least that's what the Bible calls ministry. And I'm going with the Bible, not your opinion, okay? Just to be perfectly clear, and you should go with the Bible and not my opinion, amen? Because we start with Scripture, and we understand that's part of who we are. And I know that vision changes in some forms because we may use different verbiage. We may use different words or different sayings and whatnot. And a lot of times that brings confusion as well. Because we used to call, you know, this thing this, or we used to call this type of ministry that, and there's different names, and there may be different ways it functions, and there may be different guidelines in which it functions by, and all those things can bring confusion. And I think that there's been so much change that has probably happened that maybe people seem confused, and, and, and what people do is they just adopt the version of the vision that they felt, felt most comfortable with. And they kind of just stick with that. And they go, well, this is the last time I was comfortable with vision. So I'm just going to kind of stick with that and let everybody else do their own thing. And this is, a la- this is what I used to call it, so I'm going to always call this that. And I think that because of those changes, it can be tough because we just stick with what we're most comfortable with. And then add layers of complication on things. Well, you know, some things used to be really simple and now we've made them complicated. And some things, they used to be really complicated and we're trying to strip them down and make them really simple. And it seems like when you have that type of change, people, they go, oh, I I can't control that. I can't control those types of changes. So what do we do? We do the same thing everybody else does when change happens that we can't control we revert back to what we're most comfortable with. And I believe God's calling all of us out of our comfort, out of our little bubbles, out of our ways of thinking. And he's calling us all to be unified and be one church moving in one direction. Amen? Amen? He's calling us all to be one church 
unified, going in a singular direction. See, the great part about this story of Ruth, she ends up marrying this guy named Boaz, okay? Boaz was actually a distant relative of Naomi, her mother-in-law. And so she's like, oh, you met Boaz when, when Ruth finally meets Boaz. And it was this sovereign providential meeting that happened where Ruth just happens to be out in the field and she's, she's actually picking up things that have been dropped by the people who are harvesting wheat in the fields. And so she, she grabs some grain and, that the people are leaving behind and Boaz notices her. And all of a sudden he starts asking questions about her. He thinks it's really respectful how she stuck with her mother-in-law. And then she's like, oh, he's actually a distant relative. And he's what is called a kinsman redeemer. And what a kinsman redeemer was in their culture was that if someone was widowed, then that relative could actually marry her and it would actually uh, take care of her and the family. And so... Boaz started liking her and seeing her, and she noticed Boaz. They start talking. Next thing you know, boom, they get married, and then Ruth has a son, and Naomi's bitterness leaves her, and she rediscovers her joy from all the mourning and all the difficulty that she's been through, and then that son ends up uh, growing up and having children and having children, and Ruth is like King David's great, 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 great grandmother. And then King David, of course, being in that line, eventually Jesus being the one who comes from that line. And so Ruth is a part of Jesus' genealogy. And here's the crazy part. Ruth's a Moabite. She's not even an Israelite. She was an enemy of God. So do you see the gospel in this story? Do you see the gospel? Do you see how Jesus made a way where there was no way? Do you see the gospel that an enemy of God, an enemy, an outsider, was brought into the family and redeemed when all hope seems lost? Do you see that Jesus is our kinsman redeemer? Do you see the gospel in that story and the beauty of that story? But it started with Ruth going, no, this is who I am. This is who I'm called to be. And then she was able to do all of those other things that she couldn't have foretold, she couldn't have forecasted, she couldn't have planned and schemed and put together. But because she knew who she was, she knew where she was supposed to go. She was following Naomi. Naomi, where are we going? That's where I'm going. What God are you serving? That's the God I'm serving. I'm following you. I'm with you. And that gave her the confidence to continue to move forward because of her love for Naomi, because of her commitment, because of her character, because of her integrity, and because she embraced her identity as a part of that family. Let's go over to Ephesians chapter 4. This is one of my favorite um, chapters in the New Testament because I have a big heart for the church, not just Bettendorf Christian Church, but the church at large. I love anything that talks directly to the church because I feel like so many times we make church something other than what it's supposed to be. And when we start with scripture, it helps anchor us and get us back to what we're actually supposed to be about, amen? Uh, because we can chase church fads, we can chase the latest and greatest and coolest and whatever and think that that's what we're supposed to do and, and then we're just inconsistent up and down and invest all of the resources and energy into these things that were just, you know, these, these one-off, you know, here today, gone tomorrow type things. But I like to get back to the scripture and actually start with the scripture, so that means that if I read something in the word of God that tells me what the church is actually supposed to be about, then it doesn't matter what culture or fads say, amen? 
It, may, it matters what the Word of God says. And so that's where I want us to start from because we start with Scripture and this helps us to see who God has called us to be. And when I see who I'm supposed to be, then I can embrace that identity of who God's called me to be. So the Apostle Paul does a masterful job here of writing to the church in Ephesus as he's under the guidance and unction of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that the Holy Spirit still speaks through this message today to you and to me to show us what the church is supposed to be all about. And here's what he says, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So he's saying, I'm about to tell you how. I'm about to tell you what that looks like. I'm about to define this idea of walking worthy in a manner to the calling of which you've been called to. So I'm about to tell you what that looks like. Keep reading. With all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Here he gives us a few descriptive words to understand what walking worthy of this calling that we've been called to. He says, gentle, be gentle with each other. Sometimes we can be really harsh with one another. In the body of Christ, sometimes we treat people who are outside of our family better than those who are actually a part of our family. And the part that's actually supposed to attract those who are outsiders is supposed to be the way we treat each other, right? That's what Jesus said, by this all men will know, you're my disciples. The early church, the thing that was attracting people to them, they, they were blown away by the way the church was loving one another. And so Paul says, be gentle and be humble. Walk with this humility. Humility says, I don't yet know what I don't know. And I still need to be teachable. I need to be able to learn I don't need to just be the person who knows it all and who's experienced it all and seen it all and I know how everything's supposed to be done and everyone's doing it wrong but me. That's pride. And pride comes before fall, right? And so he says, be humble, be gentle. He's talking about the way you treat one another. He says, be patient. We should be patient because somebody's patient with all of our goofy mess, right? Somebody who is patient with us we're not the picture of perfection. And so we need to be patient with other people, understanding that I need to be gentle. I need to be patient. I need to bear with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. What if there was a church that was so eager to maintain unity, that we actually protected it and we wouldn't allow gossip and negativity and backbiting and divisions and all this junk to persist because we were determined to be a family that loved each other with patience, gentleness, with this idea of eagerness to maintain unity. I uh, remember our staff in Wisconsin I served as lead pastor of that church for almost 10 years, and the first two and a half years were the years of the biggest transition. My first two and a half years at that church were very, very difficult. Um, we had unhealthy culture. We had unhealthy staff. We had unhealthy leadership all the way around, and I was not the healthiest when I entered into that role. 
And through a series of events and God leading us and God helping us, we were able to have such a unified team and a team that cared about one another and loved one another to the point that we all knew how important it was to guard that unity and we were eager to maintain that unity in the bond of peace because when something would come along or something would happen, we'd just talk about it. Uh, we didn't stuff it. We didn't sit on it and go gossip or talk about things to one another. We dealt with it. We went to one another. And it wasn't just because we had a policy. It was because we actually loved each other that much. And we knew what dysfunction looked like. And we knew what an unhealthy leadership culture and an unhealthy staff looked like. And we didn't want to do that again. When you get sick and tired of being sick and tired, it's time to do something different. Amen? And so we decided we were going to do something different, and we protected it. And sometimes wolves would try to sneak in. So Sometimes wolves try to sneak in, especially when you've got something good going on, right? The enemy's not trying to destroy something that's already not going well, right? <laughs> the enemy wants to try to get in and sneak in when things are going well, and he tries to do it in sneaky ways. He tries to get in with, with, with these, these little, little things, little thoughts, little ideas. And there were people who came along that had agendas, but we could smell it and sniff it out pretty quick because we were eager to protect that unity. And we knew, we said that all the time, that we, were, we would protect that unity because we know what it costs to get us there. And I want us to be that type of church that we will protect the unity of our church family because we understand the cost that it's taken to get us to that place. Because we know who we are. Because we know who God has called us to be, and we want to walk in a manner worthy of that calling that he's called us to, eager to maintain the spirit of unity and the bond of peace. Amen, church? He says this, one Lord, verse 5, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in what? Help me out. In love. So that it's actually growing in love. Like the way we love each other right now, it should dull in comparison to the way that we love each other at the end of this year. Amen? Because we should have grown so much that we're edifying one another, growing up and building the body of Christ to where we're loving each other even more than we are now. Verse 17, now I say this and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. <clears throat> they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. So he's saying when people who don't know God act this way, it's obvious why they're acting that way because they don't know God. 
Like they're acting like they're supposed to act. They're acting like people who don't know God. They're acting like people who are alienated from the life of God. So when they are backbiting, when they're gossiping, when they're causing division, when they're causing issues, when they're uh, not able to reconcile and all those things, they're acting like people who don't know God. So don't think that's strange that they're doing that. They're acting that way. They've become callous. And they've actually given themselves up to sensuality, greed, and to practice every kind of impurity. Verse 20, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and it's corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is who we're called to be. What Paul is telling the church in Ephesus is to embrace their identity, to know who they're called to be because the enemy wants to try to get in and mess up this really good thing that God is doing in there and he wants to look for a way to do it. And the way that he's trying to do it is to get you to forget who you are and to get confused in your identity and so you begin to forget that you're a new creation, that you begin to forget that you've put away your former manner of life. That you forget that you're, you're not walking um, in, in the way that you used to. And you begin to pick up some of those things that you left behind and you start acting in the ways that are not becoming of a person who's supposed to be growing in love and growing in knowing Jesus Christ. He's saying here that this is who you're called to be and this is who you're not called to be. Now embrace that identity and move forward so you can confidently know who you are. Here's our big idea for today. Jesus Christ defines us and unifies us because we are his church. We are his church, amen? This is not any one person's church. It doesn't matter who the pastor is. It's not our church. It doesn't matter who the elders are. It's not the elders' church. It's Jesus Christ's church, amen? It doesn't matter what city name is on our church. It's Jesus Christ's church. We are a part of his church. And because we're a part of Jesus' church, he's the one who gets to say who we are. He's the one who gets to define us. He's the one who gets to call us who he wants us to be. We are his church, and he is the one who should be defining and refining us to help bring clarity And I believe that he's doing that as we read his word and as we take these things and not only hear them, but put them into practice and allow our behaviors and our attitudes and our actions and our decisions and all of our planning and strategy and vision casting, all of that comes from the word of God and is led and directed by the spirit of God. And we can see that because the word and the spirit are gonna agree and they're gonna be in unity and move forward together as God is leading us by his spirit and as we see who he is in his word. We honor the past and we're grateful for the foundation that has been laid. This church has gone through a lot in its time, both good and challenges that it's faced. And as we look back on the past, we can embrace those things that God has done and be thankful for them and yet have the courage to move forward into what he's calling us into as well, amen? When I was a youth pastor, um, I did that for seven years. That's where I started was in youth ministry. Um, And uh, there are times when I look back on what 
I enjoyed as a youth pastor and what we did and the way even that we did youth ministry. And man, I had a lot of fun with a lot of that stuff. And I love telling stories about those days because there were some real fun things that have some real cool, awesome God moments that happen. And when I tell those stories, I don't know if you do this, but I do this. Those stories just seem to get bigger and bigger every time I tell them. And my wife has to be there to fact check me sometimes. I know none of you guys get fact checked by your wives, um, but I do. And she'll go, Derek, there weren't 5,000 people there. There were like 10, okay? I'm like, oh, yeah, because how big was that fish you caught again? You know, it's the longer the distance is between when you actually caught it and when you tell the story, that fish just grows every time, doesn't it? And um, in the ministry, we call that evangelistic speaking, okay? So I'm speaking evangelistically. Uh, And I would tell those stories, and I would remember, you know, these things were just so great, and I thought it was so awesome. And Holly said, Derek, do you remember some of the things that were hard about youth ministry? No, it was great. I should be a youth pastor because I didn't have any troubles at all or any problems or any challenges. She said, Derek, you regularly had this challenge, this challenge. You had to deal with this person, this family, this issue. I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Because that's what happens oftentimes is that we'll romanticize things that we liked or enjoyed. And the further away that we get from when it actually happened, that gap kind of makes us forget some of those bad things. And we only want to remember those good things. And that can happen with victories that we've had in the past as a church as well. And we have to be careful, not that we leave those things, but that we don't glorify those things as just being the good old days and now church now just stinks, you know. Sometimes people do that. Oh, the good old days were when we did things this way. The good old days were when things happened this way. Why? Because I liked those things and the things that we may do now I'm struggling with. And we struggle with those ideas because we can romanticize those things in the past, yes, they were good. Yes, they were great. They may have even brought you to Christ, and that's awesome. And the heart of those things needs to continue on, and we never need to change the heart of those things. But sometimes stuff changes, and stuff is hard when it changes. And it's, it's not easy because we think, well, if we could just do what we, we used to do here or there, and there could be some truth to that, but for the most part, are we sometimes romanticizing that, and we're not embracing where God's called us now? Maybe we're too busy looking in the rearview mirror to not see what God has ahead of us. It's great to look in the rearview mirror. It's great to see. It's great to celebrate. And I love that. And we want to honor that. We want to respect that. But at the same time, I know that what God is going to call us into is going to stretch all of us, myself included. Because there's going to be new things that he wants us to embrace and step out into. The word's never going to change. But sometimes the way we do things change. Sometimes the thing God calls us to do, oh, we don't know those people. We don't know that area of town. We don't know, well, what if this? Well, what if that? I don't know. It's, well, why don't we just go back to doing this? Because this is safer. This is more comfortable. But yet, what if God is calling us to embrace something new? Or something that may challenge us and stretch us to actually step out in faith? Whatever that may be. I'm just saying the, the heart that we need to have has to be one that we know who we are and we go, okay, Lord, just like Ruth, wherever you go, I'm going. Amen? Wherever you want, whatever you want to lead me into, that, that's where I'm going because I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm all in. Why am I all in and why am I with you? Because I know who I am. I know I'm a part of this family. I know I'm in and I want to be all in. I want to be so in. I don't want to be halfway in. I don't want to just dip my pinky toe in. I want to be all in because that's what God wants us to be. So here's my question for us today. Are we going to be Ruth or are we going to be Orpah? 
One went home to what was familiar. One embraced her identity and moved forward. Who is God calling us to be? What are we known for? And what do we want to be known for? You see, over the next several weeks and throughout this year, we're going to be talking about our identity from Scripture because one of our core values is Scripture is our starting point. And we're going to start with Scripture and we're going to continually have these, this conversation throughout this series and talk about core values, talk about some strategy that I believe God has given us and, and give you a little bit more nuts and bolts of moving forward. But none of that matters if we don't, at a core level, embrace who God is calling us to be and be eager to maintain the spirit of unity and to be eager to love one another and to be gentle and to be patient and to be willing to say, okay, Lord, I'm in, I'm all in. What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? How do you want me to serve? How do you want me to use the gifts that you've given me? I'm a part of this family and I'm ready to move forward. And as we are in a season of transition and God has done so many wonderful things and I've seen God do some special things here, even in the short time that I've been here. I've seen God do some special things with our staff and our team. I've seen God do some special things with individuals and people and families that I know and have gotten to know. And I love what God is doing and the things we've been able to be a part of and the special things we've been able to accomplish together. But I believe that the best is truly yet to come, that we are going to continue to see the hand of God move as we continue to clarify what God has called us to do, who God has called us to be, where he's leading us. Scripture says that the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. And I want the steps of Bettendorf Christian Church to be ordered by the Lord, not by man's ideas, not by what's popular, not by something that we wanna try just to, just to do because it seems what, to be what everyone else is doing. No, I want us to be a church that is called, that is clear, that is consistent that is confident, not in ourselves, but confident in who God has called us to be, amen? So we can love each other really well. And I'm not saying that because we don't love each other. I think we love each other. I, I love the way that you love our family. And as we've been here, man, we have felt the love from so many people. And I've seen how Bettendorf Christian Church loves one another, but I think that we still have some growing to do because none of us have arrived yet, amen? So can you agree that we all need to grow in loving each other more? I think we all can. And we're never gonna stop growing in that. It's not like you reach the the pinnacle and all of a sudden you're like the best at loving one another. And God says, okay, that's enough. You've loved each other enough. You don't have to try to grow in that anymore. No, you're always gonna be growing in that. We're always gonna grow in forgiveness. We're always gonna grow in reconciliation and healing and, 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 and moving forward in unity. But I want us to be in a place where we're so unified when the enemy tries to come in, that the people of this church go, uh-uh, not today, Satan. That we go, nope, we're not, we're not playing that game. We're not letting that in. We're not gonna mess with that. No, we're going to protect unity because we love each other and we know where we're going and the world is gonna see that and the world is gonna see something more attractive that's bearing fruit. The world is gonna see how we love them by the way we serve them as well, how we serve them with the love of God, how we sacrificially love those who are outside of our fellowship, they'll see that as well. And they're gonna wanna be a part because the spirit of God has unified us. One spirit, one faith, one Lord, one baptism, one God in all and through all, amen? 
That's who he's called us to be. And I want us to be a church that knows that and that lives that out. So Lord, help us to do this. As we go through this series and as we go throughout this year and have this focus, help us, God, to be willing to let go of what we need to let go of and embrace what we need to embrace. Whether it's something that we've done before that needs to be renewed and revitalized or something that we need to let go of and trust you in and do something, Lord, where you may be redirecting our focus. Whatever it may be, God, in our families, in our lives, in our marriages, in our friendships, in our careers, help us to know clearly, God, who we are and that we're with you and what you're calling us to. Help us to be unified, Lord, like never before. Like never before. Just as the prayer that Jesus prayed to make them one. So, Father, we just ask that you would make us one like never before. May we bear fruit of that unity. And may you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? Thanks for braving the weather today and coming out to church, coming to worship with your church family. I know it's uh, cold out there, and some of you had to shovel some snow to get here. God bless you for that. You worked a little harder to get to church today. That's like bonus points or something. <laughs> no, it's really not, but it makes you feel better. You can think that. But uh, I want you to remember the three ways to engage. If perhaps today is the day that you want to put your faith and your hope in Christ, would you talk to one of our pastors or one of our prayer team members that will be down here at the front? We would love to pray with you. We would love to talk to you about following Jesus. We'd also love for you to just continue to utilize our prayer team if you have a need of any kind. There's something you just want us to pray for you about. Would you just uh, let us know? You can use our website where you can send us a prayer request or you can fill out a card and put that in the box out there in uh, the commons area. You'll see a station that says prayer. You can fill that out. And we want to pray for you. Remember, we have prayer every Thursday morning at 8.30. That's starting uh, again this week. We took a week off during the holidays, but uh, we're just, there's so many people who are dealing with sickness and so many challenges right now. We really need to rally around our church family and pray. Amen. So if you can be here or join us online at 8.30 this Thursday morning to pray with us, we'd love for you to do that. Also, perhaps uh, today would be a great day for you to start taking the next steps class. I'm going to be teaching step one over uh, in the room that's right next to uh, the, the Kid City area. You'll see a sign that says next steps class. I'll be talking a little bit about who we are as a church. And um, I'd love for you to come to that class just to learn more about that and see if perhaps this is the church God's calling you to and also to help you to figure out how to get plugged in and get more involved. So if you want to be a part of that, just join us here in just a few minutes over there uh, in that classroom. You'll see the sign that says next steps. And I'd love for you to be a part of that. Before you go, number six and 24 says, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Lord, lift up his countenance upon each and every one of you and give you his peace. God bless you, BCC. Have an awesome week. Happy New Year. You are dismissed.